Welcome to yet another recording of the Roth Pod. It is the day after Thanksgiving. We are recording. It's about 4.30, so a very weird time, but also like getting getting to be more of our normal recording time around this time, maybe a little bit later. Uh, I'm here with RK, who is not in my time zone for the first time in a long time. It's a real shocker here. Ryan, what's going on? You know, I'm doing good today, Donnie. Yeah, I'm back home for Thanksgiving in Chicago right now. So it's nice to be back. I haven't been back here in like three months since I uh, started work uh, in New York over at Colgate. So it's nice to be back, have some, uh, you know, Thanksgiving turkey and uh, whatnot while I'm uh, over here for uh, the weekend. So uh, it's been going good. Been nice to uh, hang out, watch some sports this week uh, as well with some, uh, you know, NFL football uh, of course, on Thanksgiving. So uh, it was a nice holiday. And yeah, as you said, back out of here uh, on the podcast streets, it feels good. Yeah, I mean, just I guess we can hop right into it. Obviously, football, football, football. We've had a lot of uh, both college and NFL games since we last talked, uh, including multiple losses from the New York Giants and, and one singular loss from the no longer undefeated, but still looking very good Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Eagles did end up bouncing back and winning. So, eh. You know, you'll be all right. You know, Eagles nine and one at this point, though. Uh, I, I think that the beauty of things for me, I just want to want to start, you know, the Giants. They're really, you know, now, you know, seven and four. It, it feels a lot less fun. Uh, they're now a negative point differential, which is crazy considering they've only lost four games on the year of the 11 they've played. Um, I didn't think they looked that bad uh yesterday. I think the Lions game was really bad, but I don't think the Thanksgiving game was that bad. And I think you'd probably agree, like, with how injured and beat up and, and devoid of talent, their secondary especially, but their offensive line as well is, you know, you kind of had to expect the Cowboys who are getting healthy would kind of just like kick the living hell out of them, right? Yeah, you figured that might be uh, the case. We did see Micah Parsons have a uh, sack in this game, and that's always kind of a fear you have when you go against Dallas that, you know, they'll either get a big play from Parsons or maybe Trayvon Diggs on an interception. But, uh, you know, for the Giants, I think they're kind of in an interesting spot when you look at their offense specifically right now because we know what we're going to get with Saquon Barkley, but they're still trying to work in some of those younger receivers. Obviously, we know about how much turnover they've had at that spot. Uh, Darius Slayton kind of being the one exception, he did have a big play in this game. But, uh, you know, having gotten what you wanted out of Kenny Galladay obviously Kadarius Tony was a guy you traded on earlier this year so seeing guys like Isaiah Hodgins uh for example step up you know some of these younger Giants receivers are, are starting to get integrated more uh by uh Brian Dable and the coaching staff so uh you know who knows maybe this is kind of some of the growing pains that could help out the Giants long term because they've had so much struggle at that receiver position uh you know in the past but um you know this was kind of one of those uh games where they weren't able to just muster up enough offense um you know with uh with with what the pieces they have uh, against the Dallas defense. So came up a little short, but um, you know, I think, you know, they did cover the point spread in this game, take that for what it's worth. So you're still seeing the giants go out there and competing, uh, you know, maybe above expectation, which has really been kind of the theme for them this year, but um, they just have a little bit of limitations, I think in that offensive firepower outside of Saquon Barkley um, that kind of prevents them from winning games like they had against Dallas on Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you can look at it. Like, we've been talking all year. Uh, Lawrence Cager is making a difference. He's making big plays every week. Lawrence Cager was probably not signed um, six, eight weeks ago. I think he's probably a practice squad fella just grinding it out. I think uh, you can say the same about pretty much everybody else. Like, Richie James is probably not an NFL receiver. Um, He's more of a a special teams at best guy. And then you could even, like, the tight ends i've never heard of either of them before a couple weeks ago the tight ends are literally from from planet jupiter uh, and you i'd be fine with it like i would i'd have no idea so i think that's the big thing to uh, the takeaways here like the giants they still have a chance to make the playoffs you know seven and four doesn't look good doesn't feel good uh the future doesn't feel good in terms of you know they still gotta play the eagles twice those are not gonna be fun games uh the vikings not going to be a fun game, probably in Minnesota. We saw what they did yesterday. We can talk about that in a little bit. But I will say this. The Commanders twice and the Colts are still on the schedule. You can't tell me they can't win at least two of the three. You split against the Commanders, beat the Colts. That seems realistic, does it not? Yeah, I think they're in a position where they should be able to get one of the three wild card spots uh, at this point in time. Seems like it'll either be Dallas or Philly that ends up winning the NFC East overall. But um, I think the Giants will be able to one grab uh, you know another one of those wild card spots given their schedule um, and the position they put them in uh, you know so far this year. Yeah, I think from here we can flip over to the more successful of our two teams, obviously the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, we did see them since we've last recorded. We've seen them lose. A football game uh you know we literally recorded on the monday before uh the game and we said yeah you know we're probably going to come back to this after the thanksgiving break around the thanksgiving break and they're going to be they're going to still be undefeated or they should be still undefeated undefeated turns out uh, the commanders you know i guess we can talk about that game really quickly it's now a couple weeks ago or a week and and, and a couple days ago but the commanders they really stuck to their guns and decided hey you know terry mclaurin's gonna get the ball a lot and we're just gonna force feed the ball to our running backs uh even if they're not super productive. They wanted the guaranteed three, four yards. And I guess uh, if you're looking for a strategy to beat the Eagles, getting the three, four yards and, and then leaving it in your hands of your quarterback to kind of figure it out from there, uh, it worked, did it not? Yeah, I, I think that was an interesting game because I think in terms of kind of the talent and kind of, you know, the schematic side of the game, like the Eagles really didn't, you know, get that much outmatched by Washington, but really where they took over was those specific game situations. You've talked about, you know, red zone efficiency, third down efficiency were kind of the two big things that kind of came up that hurt the Eagles. They really struggled to get off the field uh, on third down and to Washington's credit, a lot of times it was third and manageable, but, um, you know, missed tackles and, and lack of execution on third down was really something that heard him uh terry mclaurin in particular was uh having a really strong game as he has uh done for now a number of years always seems like he shows out in uh in division games uh for washington so he had another strong game and it was enough for washington to uh, end up getting it done had a couple of unfortunate calls go against the eagles the missed face mask on dallas goddard that directly led to a turnover and three points for washington that certainly was one that hurt and then right at the end of the game heineke coming down ridiculous yeah uh, yeah the, the personal foul against uh brandon Grant. I believe it was uh, against Heineke. So some, you know, misfortune. Eagles certainly didn't play themselves their best football and didn't help themselves uh, out with either of those calls as well. So it was an unfortunate one. They were able to survive last weekend against Indianapolis in, uh, you know, another game where, you know, you you, you obviously want the Eagles to perform a little bit better. They're, uh, I think, on paper, a much better team. But again, you run into some of those situations where, uh, you know, A.J. Brown was a little bit more limited. We're starting to see teams start to kind of key in on him a little bit more. And while you 
still have other weapons like Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders. Uh, you do see that their offense isn't quite as dynamic when Brown is kind of taken out of the game. So credit to the Colts from that standpoint, but also to see the Eagles able to come away with that win, uh, you know, avoid back-to-back losses in a, in a road game against a team that, you know, was coming off win themselves, new coach, different situation. Jalen Hurts was able to come through with the late rushing touchdown to help them seal that game. So that was definitely good to see. Uh, so, you know, while the Eagles, you know, maybe they aren't necessarily thinking, you know, oh, we can, you know, we're the best team in the NFC without a doubt. I think Dallas and, and Minnesota aren't necessarily that much further behind, despite the Eagles having had dead wins over both of them this year at home. Uh, you know, I think that fact that the Eagles have been able to, you know, continue to fight in games where they haven't played their best football, it gives them a sign that, you know, when they are kind of dialed in, they have that ability to beat, you know, just about anybody in the NFL, but um, certainly have a lot to clean up. And uh, as said, that was kind of a big takeaway from their first loss was just, you know, lack of execution on the game side. Even if you have a good game plan, uh, you know, those in-game situations, red zone efficiency, third down, uh, you know, offense and defense, that's what really kind of hurt them in that one. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting just to look back. Obviously, you can't necessarily blame solely the the misfortune, I would say, the Eagles dealt with with uh, referees kind of not giving them any help I, I definitely just want to touch on the final the final play that sealed it or at least like the the um i guess it's what like a roughing the quarterback call something like that a unnecessary yeah. roughness call um really ridiculous really really ridiculous because like actually what's he supposed to do um it's it's something that i we've seen before it's not this is not something with the quarterback the quarterback is protected maybe too much um at times although definitely i do agree with protecting the quarterback in that situation such a crucial crucial call uh the referees should almost never be calling something like that and then when they discuss the referees need to be like yeah this is not something we can call it was not that serious uh, i think we see that sometimes like the other refs come in and say hey like this is this is this is stupid uh I, this should have been that time yeah, I think it's tough because Heineke gave himself up on that play, right? It's not like it was a, uh, you know, late hit where it was, you know, a body weight call or they're slamming Heineke into the turf like he had already given himself up. So Graham was just, you know, obviously playing tough going in, making sure that, you know, he can't get up. But um, it's one of those kind of borderline calls. Was it, you know, a little bit late? Yeah, obviously, that's why the call was made. But I um, mean, you know, it's just a tough one in that spot where the Eagles, you know, they think they're going to get the ball back one last gaps. It's third down. They get a stop. Uh, Heineke keeps the clock rolling by giving himself up and then uh, you know, just like that, it's all over with uh, with the late hit call. So it was a tough game, tough one for them to uh, go down. You know, Washington, as I said, you know, deserves a little bit of credit for, uh, you know, coming in and, and playing some of their best football, too. So um, that's definitely a fair point there. But, um, yeah, that was definitely a tough one for uh, for the Eagles. And, uh, you know, what was their first loss of the season? Yeah, you know, obviously, since then, they've bounced back against the Colts this week. They, we're talking about a game against the Packers uh, on Sunday night. The Packers are not very good at football. I don't I don't really care what anybody has to say. Um, the Packers, you know, that they won a game and it's the Cowboys and they went out and pretty much like I, I would say last week's masterclass by Derrick Henry throwing the ball. Uh, the, the little pop pass is one of my favorite plays that you could call. It's, it's like the most exciting stupid play because it, it seems like it shouldn't work but every single time you know exactly what's going to happen um but yeah you were talking about a packers team that the eagles should be like pretty handily especially at home where uh 10 11 point win gotta be 
Yeah, I think you would think so. Uh, it's always tough to count out Aaron Rodgers, as you said. You know, he played well against, uh, you know, Dallas. He always plays well against the Bears. But the Packers are kind of an inconsistent punch overall, um, as they have been all throughout this season. So uh, I think it'll be a close game, maybe closer than the point spread indicates uh, for this game in Philly. But I do think it'll be one that the Eagles will be able to come away uh, with the win on. Uh, definitely encouraged to see that matchup that uh, we expect to see between Jair Alexander and A.J. Brown uh, out wide. That should be a really good one, uh, as well as some of the younger Packers receivers like Christian Watson, who's coming on in the recent weeks, uh, especially in the red zone. Uh, that's going to be a big focus for the Eagles to make sure that they can kind of tighten up on some of those areas, uh, you know, to help themselves out a little bit more. Um, did a good job of that against the Colts last week, but uh, we'll need to keep it up against, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback and Aaron Rodgers this Sunday. Yeah, and just before we move on and look around the league a little bit, what are your thoughts on just what the Eagles have been able to do with picking up guys like Linval, Linval Joseph, uh, which is so weird. And then they, they followed up with Ndamukong Sue, which is also sure. uh, maybe a little bit less weird, like, uh, I guess. The, the, but it's crazy. Middle of the season, it seems like teams are always grinding, trying to figure out defensive tackle, uh, defensive line uh, depth and everything. Obviously, the Eagles have dealt with some injuries. Jordan Davis is a big one that we've talked sure. about. Uh crazy you could just go to the free agency and find a Dominican Sue and Limbaugh Joseph just sitting there ready to go like how does that happen yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Two veterans ready for, you know, kind of a playoff push. They've been, you know, sitting around for a little bit. So they're more fresh bodies. As you said, the Jordan Davis injury was kind of a direct reason why they needed a little bit more help uh, in the middle of that defense. You know, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, those are veterans themselves. So to have a little bit more of a rotation uh, with Joseph and Sue, I think will help them out there. Just they were getting gashed a little bit too much with uh, with the run game, uh, especially in that game against Washington. Um, so I think that was kind of a big reason as to why they made those moves. But yeah, I, I'd still I mean, I think before those signings, I would have said the Eagles defensive line is is probably, uh, you know, the group that has the most depth in the NFL. Uh, and then they add, you know, two solid veterans and Joseph and Sue on top of that um, will definitely help them out uh, while they wait for Jordan Davis to come back healthy. Absolutely. I guess we can just look around the league a little bit. I, I talk about yesterday's games because realistically, this is the best thanksgiving football maybe we've ever seen in, in our lives at least like we're talking about first off the bills lions game started off i i, I didn't think it was going to be a very close game I'm, I'm gonna be honest here i i thought the lions were going to get completely run out of the building uh this is a bills team that has proven to you know kind of uh thanksgiving's like their thing it feels like josh allen really loves the opportunity to go out there and fire the ball around did not actually start off as well as you would have anticipated given the lions injuries uh, on the back end i think the lions they're talking about the lions are on their third and fourth corners now i think that they've lost top two i, I know for a fact you know you're talking about losing uh, somebody who has really come on this year in terms of jeff okuda as an inactive you really don't want to have that happen ever uh so it ended up working out pretty well for the Lions defense. I would say they were a very resilient bunch against uh, Josh Allen, who has apparently turned the ball over more than anybody in the league this year. He's throwing picks on at a rate that uh, crazy to think about yet. The bills are eight and three. Uh, I guess from this game, we can just talk about uh, the bills find ways. The lions find ways to lose games, kind of a perfect storm here. Uh, unfortunate if you're a lions fan, cause you know, you did see a good game, but 28, 25, a little bit closer than you would have anticipated. Correct. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and just kind of a classic, you know, Thanksgiving game. The Lions give you maybe a little bit more effort than they would in a regular Sunday game, but still come up short. Uh, on the losing end against Buffalo, uh, you know, still a team that's, you know, viewed upon as, you know, one of the best uh, overall in the NFL. And yeah, Josh Allen was able to get them uh, in field goal range after the Lions tied it up. 
uh, in the final minute. Uh, Tyler Bass was able to, to seal a deal for the Bills and, and get them that win. So another nice game for Stefan Diggs in this game. Just seems like that's what he does in week in and week out. Uh, you know, Justin Jefferson is kind of another one of those guys that played on Thanksgiving. But Diggs has been incredibly consistent all throughout this year with Josh Allen. And um, that duo was, uh, was again, big uh, on, uh, on Thursday for uh, them to secure the win. Yeah, and then I guess we can bounce over to the last game, which was maybe surprising for both of us to see 59 points scored, given the fact that uh, the Patriots had three points on offense the week before, as did the Vikings. Uh, the Patriots winning on a crazy walk-off, yeah. uh, which I, I guess we can talk about real quickly. Like One of the worst football games maybe ever, 3-3 three, three yeah. and 22 seconds left, and all of a sudden this guy takes one, houses one. Uh, crazy. Uh, sorry for Jets fans. Zach Wilson's been benched. That's that's a little bit of an interesting uh, analysis here. But the Patriots went on a walk off ish, like like ten seconds left. But how does that even? How do you allow that to happen? Why are you guys kicking out of bounds? Yeah, that was a crazy play. Marcus Jones, he was a dynamic player at Houston. He actually had a lot of kickoff return touchdowns uh, when he was in school there. So it's interesting to see him make kind of that first initial big impact play, you know, right at the end of a game. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the first punt return touchdown that was kind of deemed a game winner in that type of spot since Deshaun Jackson's kick return against the Giants. So had to bring that up uh, for you, Donnie, and, and give you a little stab. But that was a crazy game. Marcus Jones getting that job done. And yeah, as you said, the Jets, I mean, wow, ugly. I mean, Zach Wilson just uh, not playing good football at all, even though the Jets have had success this year. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you said, they're going to make the switch to Mike White uh, at quarterback, a guy who, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say infamously, but just kind of, it's funny how he had good success with the Jets and then was benched. And uh, here he is, finds himself, uh, you know, back in the starting role for him. So uh, we'll see, you know, the Jets, uh, surprisingly enough, are still kind of in that push to, uh, you know, get one of a wild card spots uh in what i think is the best division in football at this point so um it was a crazy game for the patriots uh when they defeated the jets and then uh yeah following it up with this uh with this thanksgiving day game uh you know coming up a little bit short tough call against hunter henry i definitely thought that one was going to go their way on the touchdown that was overturned so that was a definitely an unfortunate one for him but uh credit to the vikings uh for getting it done as you said you know they really kind of shut down against dallas but uh guy and i got back into their groove a little bit getting it to Jefferson getting it to Dalvin Cook Adam Thielen had the game winning touchdown that's kind of the regular recipe you'll see with the Vikings so um yeah nice job on that standpoint terrible last drive for the uh Patriots as well they had like a minute with no timeouts and only completed like two passes like that was pretty embarrassing how they uh managed that one so goes back game situation have a uh have an offense ready for the two minute the Patriots did not there ends up costing them uh you know when maybe they would have had an opportunity to potentially tie it and force overtime so um yeah interesting uh kind of breakdown down there uh between the uh the Patriots and the Vikings yeah it was interesting to me especially like the late game you know Nelson Aguilar is diving laying out for the ball it just respect obviously I gotta give him credit he had no chance of catching that there was there was yeah. literally there was literally zero zero opportunity zero possibility but he gave it his all I looked shaken up afterwards on the other hand you know as you mentioned real quick you know Justin Jefferson pretty much took over the game uh but just in general uh Jefferson Thielen and Hawkson ended up with nine nine and five catches we're talking about 23 of, of the 30 passes completed to your top three receiver i that's that's what you want to do that's that's the whole goal of the game is it not for kirk cousins who uh you know it's kirk cousins there's not always a guarantee that kirk cousins is going to kirk cousins how he has it's there's always an opportunity for for disaster 
Yeah, I feel like with Kirk Cousins, like it used to be a thing where it's like every other year he would be good or he would be bad. I feel like he's gotten maybe a little bit more consistent over the last like two or three years, but you're still like a little hesitant. You're kind of just waiting for the impending. Yeah, I mean, look and, at the weapons uh, kind of falling apart. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see how long it lasts. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Kirk Cousins has turned a little tide. But anytime you kind of flirt with that, it's a really, really risky argument and, uh, you know, side to kind of bank on Kirk Cousins coming through for you in the big time moment. But he did. And uh, maybe he's doing it a little bit more than we've kind of come to conclusion of in the past and i think that at this point like there's so few quarterbacks that are so incredibly great that like kirk cousins maybe slightly is ranking up uh, a little bit higher in the qb ranks but uh still obviously not to the level of anyone like pat mahomes obviously but uh you know he's been a little bit more respectable as of late and it was a prime time win i thought it was funny the vikings kind of their post-game speech uh they kind of shouted that out like wow kirk cousins a good game it was a it was a prime time kickoff like they, they were making sure they were noting that but um yeah it's been uh uh, it's been interesting to follow the Vikings this year, but yeah, like it's interesting because too, because it comes off a game when they got absolutely dominated against Dallas too. So um, it is really hard to kind of put the Vikings in a, in a specific category uh, of where they may rank, you know, not only in the NFC, but in terms of their chances to, um, you know, win or, or compete in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, Kirk Cousins has probably benefited a little bit from the Russell Wilson decline and all of these sure. other, you know, the older quarterbacks. We have definitely seen a serious decline. Before we start talking into, there's a couple uh, decent games that we have coming up this week. There's a couple uh, of the older quarterbacks who have really just fallen off a cliff. I think Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys that has not been very good. Uh, Russell Wilson has been atrocious this year. I think you could argue Derek Carr is is pretty mediocre, yeah. which is crazy to say, given the fact that he has been handed not only a top five or six running back in the league uh, with top or three or four wide receiver in the league combination and still managed to be so poor. Um, it's interesting. Maybe Kirk Cousins is, is more reliable than, than some of those guys, which is crazy because uh, Kirk Cousins is not reliable in the slightest. So uh, that's very interesting to think about. But uh, just before we get into anything, we were supposed to have a Rams Chiefs masterclass of a performance this weekend. It was supposed to be um, – you can look back at some of the scheduling, uh, scheduling people who, who go back and, and highlight certain games, uh, guys that are really hype about, oh, week 12, we're going to have a game against the Rams and Chiefs, it's going to be amazing. This game, let me tell you, and this week in general, they have, they have picked just the ultimate worst matchups out of what should have been great matchups, like Rams, Chiefs should have been great, Chargers, Cardinals, you had to think at some point, we're going to get a good game out of two quarterbacks, two young quarterbacks, but maybe not. Um, but the one game this week that is maybe exciting, Bengals-Titans. We're talking about two teams that are actually, like, figuring it out at the same time, I would say. The Bengals have been very good offensively outside of uh, there was a really rough week against the Browns a couple weeks ago, I believe. And then, on the other hand, the Titans have kind of just, like, gone back to what makes them great. It's it's more uh, Derrick Henry masterclass, get him the ball 30 times a game and hope for the best, uh, which has worked great for them. Uh, really interesting. And now we have a, a clash of two teams who – maybe a little bit underrated when talking about the high-end AFC teams, given the fact that uh, I think we see the Titans, and, and I guess the Bengals will be an every-year team now, but we see the Titans in the playoffs, I like deep playoff runs almost every year, it feels like. Yeah, the Titans have been a uh, consistent force. They kind of, you know, will probably pretty easily walk into the AFC South, uh, you know, championship again this year, uh, especially with the Colts kind of still being a little inconsistent, even after firing Frank Reich. So, uh, yeah, the Titans are looking good. And for Cincinnati, they're kind of an interesting team to follow, too, because they have won four of their last five. But, um, you know, even though they beat Miami, that was without two attack of Eloa at quarterback. So you wonder, you know, has Cincinnati really had that impressive of a marquee win? Lost already 
already this year in their head-to-head against Baltimore, who's the only team they're trailing in their own division. So it'll be interesting to see how these team two, two teams kind of stack up uh, because Cincinnati um, is probably more looking at a wild-card spot and with Tennessee potentially winning their division. Could even be a preview of what we could see in the postseason, which was a really good game last year when Cincinnati won on a last-second field goal uh, in Tennessee, too. So I'm intrigued to see how these two teams will match up. Uh, you know, not necessarily, I would say, the top tier of teams in the AFC. I think that would be more Kansas City and Buffalo, maybe even Miami and Baltimore kind of sneak in there. But for Cincinnati and Tennessee, it'll be interesting to see how they play uh, head-to-head as they uh, both kind of look towards a uh, potential playoff spot again this year. Yeah, I just, I've had a good time watching Joe Burrow kind of figure it out this year because earlier on in the year, uh, we talked about this a couple of times. It, it was, it was tough sledding, but it seemed like, uh, especially last week, there were a couple of turnovers, but he was really flinging the ball around. Uh, Joe Mixon injury is going to be a, a big deal. Joe Mixon has been ruled out already for this game. So uh, I guess we're going Samaj P. Ryan until, until the Cows come home, which we've seen him play pretty good football before he's he's a nice number two i don't think anybody's really arguing that so you could have a worse position to lose your starter at for a week running back will be all right uh, anything else this weekend that has you excited before we talk about you know the real marquee in college football yeah, I think really the uh, the only other thing looking forward to uh, the NFL this week um, is probably just seeing how the uh, the primetime game is uh, with the Eagles and the Packers. I mean, just kind of that's kind of the game I've got highlighted, uh, you know, seeing how the Eagles respond back at home. And uh, with Aaron Rodgers, you know, he always plays his best when, uh, you know, the lights are brightest and the Packers are in a little bit more kind of do or die mode now uh, with a four and seven record that if they want to seriously think about, you know, sneaking into one of those wild card spots, this is kind of I wouldn't necessarily say a must win game for them but um would be definitely a big game for them to kind of potentially turn some things around so interested to see how uh how that game goes obviously um with the eagles being back at home and uh, always love watching rogers play as well even with uh you know this year and maybe not being necessarily his best without Devonte adams so that's really the big one that i'm looking forward to this weekend yeah absolutely i, I think we're gonna see uh hopefully some good primetime games i i can't necessarily say that Steelers Colts Monday night is going to be exciting or something that anybody anybody wants to watch uh it's been it's been tough sledding for both teams this year yeah but realistically RK you and I both we're looking for college football college football this is the week uh at least it seems like this is the week where we're going to have uh one of if not the best matchup of the year in Michigan Ohio State uh I think there's no real argument here that that is quite literally like the the perfect position for them to have uh, these two teams in uh, usually it doesn't end up this nicely although we have seen it in recent years we've seen this matchup actually matter a little bit more for both teams now we're talking to two against the three uh it doesn't seem like a lot of people are really giving michigan a whole lot of a chance or at least they're saying oh it's going to be uh it's going to be tough especially uh given i think there are some injuries like quorum uh you know we're really not sure nobody knows what's going on there uh it's, it's a loss, probably. Donovan Edwards, as you mentioned to me a couple weeks ago, who I first learned about through RK saying, hey, you know, watch out for this guy. Apparently very good. Uh, you know, tough week. Last couple weeks, it's fine. You know, and on the other hand, Ohio State has not really had any issues, it feels like. Ohio State is kind of just like, uh, you know, they're the reliable team. Obviously, we had a weird game a couple weeks ago against Northwestern that was in just like horrible weather. But other than that, uh, there was a Maryland scare a little bit last week, I guess you could say, but not a whole lot. And this is like as premier of a matchup as you could possibly pick, especially for a noon game on a Saturday. Like this is the one that you're going to have the casuals waking up for. This is the one that you're going to have the West Coast people that usually wake up 1030. They're going to be up uh, 845, getting ready for this one. It's going to be a doozy, I think. 
Yeah, I think so too. And yeah, I probably like Ohio State uh, in this one overall, just a little bit more firepower on that offense. And especially coming off the loss last season, I think they're going to be a little bit more fired up in Columbus uh, for their matchup this year. Uh, I think they played just a little bit more clean football uh, all throughout. Michigan had a little bit of trouble with Illinois last weekend, um, even though they won and Illinois had a better season than they had in the past. Uh, I think their offense where is a little bit more dynamic with the past game with CJ Stroud, where Michigan's based a little bit more on that run game as you mentioned, um, you know, earlier when talking about Quorum and Edwards. So I like Ohio State to come away with the, this one. They are favored by eight points. So um, I think that that's probably pretty fair. I think Ohio State will, will probably take this one pretty easily, but you really never know. Uh, you know, it's hard to necessarily count Michigan out completely, given that, you know, they were the Big Ten champs last year and, um, you know, that they have had such, uh, you know, a dominant regular season stretch uh, so far. Um, could be interesting to see if Michigan maybe has like a halftime lead or something where, where it raises some eyebrows but I like Ohio state when it's all said and done to come away with it. Um, I think it's uh, just a little bit more safe bet to go with the side that has CJ Stroud uh, on it, just given the, uh, you know, how he's, uh, you know, continued to progress this year and getting the ball to some superstar receivers that he really has uh, on the outside as per usual with Ohio state. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think before the season you would have been like, okay, um, obviously there's a guy there. Marvin Harrison wouldn't have been the one that you would have, uh, identified as the the who looks to be like a clear alpha great receipt potentially great receiver uh come when he makes the pros whenever that happens to be um I, I believe that he's a sophomore i i could be mistaken on that on that analysis there but uh, a, a guy that has definitely stepped into and filled some big shoes i do remember um he was everywhere against Penn State a couple weeks ago. It was like almost insane to see how much he had the ball in his hands and how much he made of these plays like yak plays which are always you know really interesting to see It'll be fun. I'm not necessarily thinking that Michigan is going to be competitive, assuming uh, injuries are what holds them back from the run game. It's always tough to lose uh, or potentially lose a guy like Blake Quorum, who ha has pretty much shown himself uh, from a fifth or fourth or fifth round stock uh, from what I've seen in draft people to like maybe a high second, which is crazy to think about with running backs. Yeah. Uh, these guys like kind of, you sort of know what you're getting out of running backs early, but a loss of Blake Quorum would be absolutely massive if he does end up sitting out. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, I would uh, I would have to agree um, with that. It would be a big loss without uh, without quorum. So it'll be interesting. I You know, the winner goes to the Big Ten championship game should probably have a pretty easy game. You know, maybe it's against Iowa again. Uh, there's a chance they win the Big Ten West somehow, some way after, you know, really struggling uh, kind of all throughout the season still. But um, I think whoever wins this game will have no problem winning the Big Ten and, and getting into the college football playoffs. So, um, yeah, the, the, it's pretty much a playoff game right here, right now between uh, between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Absolutely. We may have another big game, depending on uh, what Notre Dame team shows up against USC. We talked about, uh, we previewed last week's game. It ended up being USC-UCLA last week was like one of my favorite cultural games of the year by far. It looked like UCLA was going to kind of stomp them. The first quarter was a really dominant performance from, from DTR and gang. Uh, obviously him and Charbonnet kind of on the ground. Um, a lot of yards. They, they do they do a lot of carrying, but DTR made a lot of mistakes, which is a little uncharacteristic given he's been around for a while, hasn't been making those mistakes this year, and they were capitalized on by USC. And I just think that the big thing looking into this week is the run game. I was a little bit worried, obviously, when you lose, uh, who I, I think, you know, one of the more recognizable names in college football at this point, Travis Dye. Uh, obviously, he was incredible at Oregon, came over to USC, hurt out for the year, and then they filled his shoes with Austin Jones, who I knew quite literally nothing about and and it turns out this kid is absolutely like 
he's a freak. Like he's nasty. He had such a good week uh, last week against UCLA and the week prior against Colorado, he put up some big numbers too. So maybe, you know, one of few teams that could lose their, their star running back and be like, Hey, we're, we're still, we're still good uh, facing a Notre Dame team who weird, weird team from, from what I can tell, like Notre Dame is not the normal college football team in the slightest this year. Yeah, they've had a weird year, but I think it's interesting, too, because USC, while they are currently ranked sixth, if they can take down, you know, another ranked team in Notre Dame, they know they have a Pac-12 championship game looming probably against the Oregon Ducks, which would be another potential top 10 victory. USC could find themselves in where they have a chance to make the college football playoff. I thought it was interesting. They were ranked ahead of both Alabama and Clemson in the last rankings, which gives them an opportunity to jump up because we know teams ahead of them have potential to lose because LSU, who's ranked fifth, has a pending game against Georgia. Georgia in the SEC title game, and we talked about that Ohio State, Michigan two against three. Um, not to mention TCU having uh, you know two games left uh, as well as in a current unbeaten. So but there is potential for USC to jump into the playoff. I think it would be really interesting to see them in it. Uh, have not seen uh, you know a team like like that in it in a little bit so if they were to be able to make it I think it would be an interesting uh, matchup uh, that they have potentially against a team like Georgia or Ohio State uh, in a spot like that so uh, we'll end up seeing how uh, that kind of pans out but interesting how uh, you know offseason there was so much hype around USC Lincoln Riley Caleb Williams high expectations and uh, USC has uh, you know so far kind of lived up to it uh, with just one loss and an opportunity with uh, you know some two really really big marquee games at the end of their season coming up where they could clutch it and end up getting in the college football playoff yeah i just want to mention one thing i feel like college football fans just or, or maybe football fans in general underestimate how hard it is to win every single game in, in a college football or nfl season like we don't see it very often especially before playoffs pre-playoffs we don't see it very often definitely you don't see it out of a usc team who I feel like they play a hard schedule even when they don't play a hard schedule, given the fact that you always have the random uh, Utah's always good. It feels like there's never a year where Utah's like bad, bad. It feels like, and then UCLA is good this year, Oregon state, they played early in the year is good. And then all the other pack teams they play are, are semi-competitive, obviously, you know, like the, the Arizona States and the Arizonas of the world may not always be competitive uh, year to year, but these games you play USC on the schedule, you're thinking, Oh, we got to go out there and give our best performance of the year. And maybe we're a little spoiled this year with how college football has been given all the undefeated teams at the top, but like how hard is it to actually win 12, what is it? 12 games for most teams, 12 or 13 games in a row, especially collegiate football. How is that? How are we holding this against them at this point? Yeah, it's definitely tough. And yeah, that only loss that USC had was that one uh, to Utah when, uh, you know, it was a 43, 42 game came right down to the wire. Utah ended up going for two and, and getting it. So, uh, you know, just a dramatic loss. But, you know, they had some really, really close games this year, uh, even against some of those tough pack teams that you said, Oregon State in particular, they had a really tough game with them on the road. And uh, Caleb Williams threw an absolute dime uh, right at the end of that game for them to pull it out. So, um, you know, those that's what you kind of need. Like I said earlier, when you're talking NFL, you know, those situational awareness two-minute drives ability to convert on third down in the red zone you know that's a lot of times what's gonna kind of be that difference between being you know a great team that's moving on to the college football playoff uh and just you know another regular season team ready for you know the holiday bowl or, or another spot so um that's where usc is at right now and uh you know personally i think i'm rooting for it i'd like to see that uh you know them end up getting into the playoff knowing that um there are some teams ranked ahead of them that are bound to lose with some head-to-head -head matchups between georgia and lsu and ohio state and michigan coming up yeah, very true. Uh, just to round out this weekend, I think we should talk about potential trap games because, you know, 
it wouldn't be college football if we didn't have teams struggling at the very end of the season and games they should win. Obviously, I don't think Georgia Tech's going to be able to do anything to Georgia. I think that's pretty much a guarantee that Georgia wins. I don't care how bad they play. Uh, and I think you can say the same TCU, probably not going to lose to Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State, worse than Iowa this year by a heavy margin. And if you think Iowa football is bad, uh, imagine how it must be watching Iowa State, who is clearly, clearly the little brother of the state, I guess, at this point. But uh, outside of that, though, like, LSU, Texas A&M, we're always talking maybe. Uh, this year, it'd be tough to see Auburn beat Alabama. Not like it matters, but like, is there any chance that we see a potential trap team, top six, top seven, lose out? Clemson against South Carolina after last week, South Carolina riding real high after what ended up being a, a 63 points on Tennessee. How does that, how does that even occur? Um, any trap games this week? What do we think? Yeah, it's interesting. It's hard to kind of predict these things. I mean, I think LSU may be kind of one to highlight just given that, you know, they're ranked fifth, they're going into Texas A&M college station, you know, a big uh, venue, uh, Kyle field, uh, a really, really tough place to play. Uh, and LSU, I would say, even though they are ranked fifth and they do have, you know, big wins over Alabama this year, over Ole Miss, uh, you know, they have been exposed at different times this year as well. You know, Tennessee really kind of gave it to them uh, earlier this season and, you know, way back, uh, you know, the first game they had, a tough loss against Florida State so they still kind of have that you know blemish on their resume and uh while I really like Jaden Daniels and uh well a lot of what LSU has done this year I, I certainly don't think they're you know the most you know perfect team so uh, I think if we are talking trap games I would say LSU would probably be that team ranked in uh in the top 10 that I could see uh you know maybe struggling a little bit more than the 10 point point spread has it right now yeah you know we'll obviously come back to this uh, enough college football, enough football talk. We've done through a lot, gone through a lot this week. Obviously, we did uh, talk about the last 11 days or whatever, however long it's been since we've released a, a podcast. But we haven't talked about hockey pretty much at all this year. It's been it's been a very quiet hockey year uh, on the podcast for us. But we can go over a couple of the surprises. We are a quarter in uh, American Thanksgiving. Obviously, everybody talks about if you're in the playoffs, American Thanksgiving, you're probably going to make the playoffs 73% of the chance, 73% of the time uh, you have a chance to make the playoffs um, pretty, pretty heavy. If you're a team that starts well, obviously, there are the 27% that are not that do end up making it. But I guess we can talk about just the teams that are at the top of each division in the East first off, because I think they're the two most surprising teams in the league, or at least two uh, most dominant teams in the league. And the Boston Bruins starting off 18-3, and three, uh, no overtime losses, a goal differential of 38, only giving up 47 goals in 21 games, which is league best uh, outside of the other team we're going to talk about in a second. It's really interesting to see the Boston Bruins kind of go out there and, and not only win games, win close games. As we saw today, they beat the Hurricanes in overtime. Uh, they beat the Lightning last week. They're coming off a, a nice little stretch where they've won all but one of their last like nine games, 10 games now. It's interesting to see the Bruins team that is still pretty, pretty, you know, uh, this is, this is a, this is a retirement home-esque hockey team. Like David Krejci coming back. He's an old man. Chris Bergeron's an old man. Brad Mar Marchand's getting up there. Uh, Taylor Hall has been around for a while. We're talking about a team that that their star players primarily are old outside of David Pasternak, yet they manage to play this speedy, up-tempo, high-paced game where they're also really defensively responsible. Uh, having Patrice Bergeron does ne will never hurt, and David Krejci is also a lot of that. He, he's a very good uh, player in every facet of his game, but the Boston Bruins being 18-3, and 18 of their first 21 games victorious, uh, they're on pace to win over 60 games this year, which, you know, let's let's temper the expectations a little bit there. But are you surprised at all to see the Bruins this high up in the Atlantic? 
Yeah, I definitely am. Uh, the Bruins have definitely been a team that surprised me with how good they've played. You outlined a lot of good reasons that they have good structure there. And David Posternak's been uh, incredible himself, but I certainly didn't expect them to be, you know, as dominant as they've been. You mentioned some of those key games they had, you know, going into Tampa and kind of smacking them early on and, and holding on is definitely one to, uh, to note, uh, especially when you're talking about, you know, one of the uh, best teams in the NHL over the last uh, three seasons, at least. But thing that stands out for me with the Bruins, 12-0 and at home already this year. So that's pretty incredible when, uh, you know, when you're taking care of business uh, like that, it uh, definitely is going to help you out and, and take you a long way. So, um, you know, it's been uh, impossible so far this year for someone to win in Boston. So we'll see how long they kind of keep that up for. Um, but, you know, it's been a really encouraging start for them, no doubt. So um, as you said, we'll see how kind of long it lasts. Um, but, you know, they're putting themselves uh, in a spot right now where, um, you know, they could be looking at, you know, if not at least a uh, division championship, uh, maybe even looking at the president's trophy with uh, still a long way to go but um, you know it's been a uh, you know certainly a better start for the Bruins than uh, than I expected yeah and I think you could also just shift that mentality over to the New Jersey Devils who are second in the league currently in points percentage uh, 32 points in their first 20 games they were on a, a historic 13 game win streak before they lost uh, the other night thanks to a couple uh, goals that got called off uh, this is a Devils team that has lost a couple players. We're talking about uh, Mackenzie Blackwood. Again, no surprise anybody who watches hockey. Mackenzie Blackwood is hurt. Uh, he has a major injury from the looks of things, or at least something that could be very nagging. And uh, who I would say was expected to be the biggest, you know, help to the team. Uh, Andre Pilat hasn't really played. He got hurt uh, a long time ago. He's been out for a while, and he will be out for probably a little bit longer here. Um, Going to be a grind there. But the Devils have somehow managed to win without – a uh, couple key players, and just uh, just to mention, a 13-game win streak in any sport, very, very hard. A 13-game win streak in hockey when you're playing back-to-backs and you're playing uh, pretty tough competition. I mean, like, they've played the Oilers twice. they played the Flames twice. Uh, they've played Toronto. I guess they're just playing Canada now. Uh, but they, they've beat up on Canada. They beat the Avs in what ended up being a really weird 1-0 game about a month ago. Uh, the reason I remember that is because we were at Colgate Hockey, obviously just a great time. But we, you have to just think about it. The Devils have won 13 trade. The Devils are leading the, leading the Metro by six points uh, with games at hand on everybody that's right below them. Like, you know, we talk a lot of trash. I still don't think that they're super legit. I wouldn't say they're winning the Stanley Cup or anything, but like a much better, a much stronger start than either you or I would have ever dreamed yeah, no doubt about that. And I think for the longest time, we've been lower on the Devils because of their decor. They had really bad de- uh, goaltending last year, for sure. You talked about the Blackwood injury, but we just didn't think they had enough structure on the back end. But, uh, you know, this offseason going out, making the trade, Ty Smith for John Marino, that was, you know, definitely a big move for them. That's really helped them out. You know, Marino's been, um, you know, I think certainly one of the best defenders on on that team and, and really reliable for him. So that's been kind of an immediate, you know, now upgrade, which is something that a team like the Devils, who is very young, uh, could really use in, you know, Marino's still young himself at just 25 years old, but he's really stabilized things. You knew about uh, Dougie Hamilton and Ryan Graves, the ads from last offseason. They're starting to settle into their roles and, uh, you know, understanding, uh, you know, their responsibilities a little bit more now. So while the Devils, you know, like you said, they've uh, gotten off to, you know, incredible starts, been really good. Um, you got to wonder if they're ready for, you know, a little bit more adversity if it comes in the form of injury. Uh, you know, we know about Blackwood, but Andre Palat as well has been injured. So uh, we'll see how long it lasts for the 
Devils. I think at this point, they're, you know, at least probably in a spot where, uh, you know, they probably find themselves in a playoff spot by the end of the year. But, uh, you know, with more teams kind of keying in on them uh, as a change from years past, we'll see if they're able to kind of make some of those internal adjustments to uh, keep it going for, you know, the remainder of, uh, of the regular season, at least. Yeah, it is crazy, too. They're only nine points up on a playoff spot at this point given how strong their season has been but i guess uh we kind of detailed a little bit earlier uh, on in the year when we did our, our playoff preview like currently the wild card teams are the new york rangers and tampa bay lightning two teams that were in the eastern conference right. final last year so uh a very strong conference it's going to be interesting to watch new jersey on the other hand though who I would say is probably the safest of the, the hot teams in the league is the Vegas Golden Knights, given the fact that, first off, the West is really bad. The West is 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 more mediocre and poor than we anticipated it would be in terms of depth. Uh, the Avs have not started off super, super strong, uh, whereas Vegas has been almost uh, surprisingly good, given what happened last season and given, you know, Robin Lehner still hasn't played uh, very, you know, it's crazy to see, First off, with them, they've made pretty much nothing into something with their goaltending. You did label Logan Thompson as somebody to watch this year when, when we did our NHL preview, but even Aiden Hill has really stepped in amicably and done a great job. He's 5-1-1 one, and one this year, which is very impressive out of a backup goaltender. Usually, I think you would say you expect your backup goalie to be about 500. So if you're getting that type of performance out of your backup goalie, imagine what happened when everybody's healthy. And the Vegas Golden Knights, we've seen Jack Eichel has had a really, really strong year. Mark Stone, uh, made an incredible play the other night in a big victory out of nowhere. I felt like they were probably going to lose, uh, but you know, Mark Stone steps in, makes a defensive play and then scores pretty huge uh, the Vegas golden Knights, you know, maybe I wasn't as high on them, but as somebody who was a little bit higher uh, coming into the year, this is a team that you definitely keyed in on as, as one of your favorites, or at least a team that could make some noise. Uh, are, are you surprised at all to see them be this good to start off the season? Yeah, I think that there's a lot to like with the Knights, uh, as you outlined. I think they're built really well from the back end up. I uh, really like that they've got Alec Martinez back and healthy. I think that helps Alec Petrangelo kind of play his game and, you know, be able to skate off, be aggressive, kind of be that fourth forward out there when he knows he has that security of Alec Martinez kind of as the defensive responsibility guy on his pair. You get Theodore and McNabb as kind of that big second pair, White Cloud and Haig kind of to round out their defense. I think that's, you know, one of the stronger units uh, on the back end really throughout the entire NHL so uh, you mentioned you know Logan Thompson that was kind of a storyline coming into the year young goalie you know still kind of getting finding his way after last season his first year he's been able to answer the bell but I think that's really kind of built through that really strong decor uh, now that they're back and healthy that's been able to really kind of fuel a lot of what the Golden Knights success has been this year I think if there is a fair kind of question that I have with the Golden Knights you mentioned you know strong scoring with the Eichel line and uh, even Carlson uh, with Smith and Marcher show that's kind of been a staple for the Knights uh, <laughs> for a handful of years now they've been a really good kind of line for the Knights I question the depth I wonder if that bottom six is able to generate enough to where they're able to kind of elevate um, you know I think they'll be totally fine and getting to the playoffs and even maybe securing uh, you know the number one seed in the west I think they'll be kind of competing with Colorado for that who's picked it up but if the Golden Knights are able to get some production from their bottom six uh, forwards uh, at a serious rate then I think they definitely find themselves as legitimate Stanley Cup contenders so that's kind of the big question I have for them uh, but I really like overall how it's looked for them and you know the success they have kind of speaks for itself so far this year yeah it's been interesting to see jack eichel come out and play at 100 point pace again it's nice to see i don't think anybody's really arguing that it's nice to see the superstar players and so you actually play like superstars and get uh all the opportunities they need jack Eichel is only 26 so we're still talking about a player that could be uh seeking the next level taking the next step 
Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I wouldn't have really anticipated Vegas coming up this strong, given the fact that I do believe uh, they've played like well over half, or at least it was well over half of their games on the road. And they were very dominant. They are quite, quite clearly the best road team in hockey this year uh, outside of the Jersey devils who we talked about, you know, before been a great start. It's interesting to me. I, I usually, I feel like teams that start off their season with a lot more road games, as we've seen, like the Colorado Avalanche are a good, good uh, example of this. It's maybe sputter a little bit. It's very hard uh, to get thrown into the fire. Obviously, road games do matter quite a lot in the NHL. You can see teams are significantly stronger at home than on the road, whereas in other leagues like the NFL, maybe, for example, some teams do play really well on the road. Um it just, I, I think it's interesting to see the Vegas Wiggle Knights come out here with a completely new system, a completely new, I wouldn't have really anticipated, you know, thinking they were going to start off so strongly with all these road games. And again, Bruce Cassidy, you know, we talked about it with the Bruins. The Bruins are not really struggling at all, but Bruce Cassidy has just managed to to do whatever he has to do, wherever he has to go. Uh, maybe Vegas is like legit, legit, legit because of having that next little coaching advantage, as you talked about again in our preview when we started off the season. Yeah, I'm really high on Cassidy. I thought that was a really, really good fit. And, you know, so far the immediate returns are that it has been really good, um, you know, so far for him. So, yeah, I think it adds a little bit of a, an added wrinkle that, um, you know, maybe we could expect to see Vegas, you know, pretty deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, um, yeah, I mean, we know injuries kind of totally derailed them. I think that was the big reason why they missed out on the playoffs last year. So I really don't think there's going to be too much that kind of holds them back. As I said, really the only thing that I'm kind of looking at is if they can get consistent production from their depth forwards. And uh, if Thompson and Hill are able to kind of stabilize things uh, in that, uh, I think Vegas would expect to, you know, maintain their success really all throughout the season. Yeah. Just one more NHL note to touch on uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are the worst offensive team in hockey. Would you have ever anticipated seeing this in your entire life uh, watching the, the Blackhawks of yesteryear? Uh, I mean, yeah, 2015 me would probably not be uh, too high on that, but I kind of knew some impending doom was going to come, uh, given how they managed the salary cap and how aggressive they were at trading first round picks. And that even extended much longer than I really hoped it would in trading their former first round picks. Uh, it was most recently as this off season and Kirby doc is back at the United center, uh, today, actually at time of a recording, uh, as the Habs are back, uh, playing the Blackhawks, but Hey, it's all part of the plan, all part of the tank. This is more of what we were expecting. Uh, at the beginning of the year so um we're, we're just waiting for draft lottery day we're hoping that uh connor bedard ball pops up blackhawks that's really what the focal point is right now yeah, you know funny while we were recording this actually kirby doc won it in the shootout for the canadians against the blackhawks okay. today so uh, a little revenge game out of him but uh, yeah. i gotta i gotta check in on frank <laughs> nazar see how his uh thanksgiving day was that's how i'll get through it yeah, I'm sure he's having a blast. Uh, yeah, you know, the Blackhawks are bad again, you know. As, who's surprised? Not us. Uh, Not from us. here, RK, questions. And it, it's a family affair, obviously, Thanksgiving. Uh, you you acquired some questions from multiple members of your your household and, and your immediate family. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this one off to you so we can finish off the show. Uh, you got a couple for us? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hop into questions here. As you said, got different family members asking me questions. First one, shout out to my grandpa asking me questions uh, for the podcast. First time question asker. So uh, welcome on the show, grandpa. He says, biggest divas in each sport. So let's talk about some sports divas, Donnie. And this one is an easy one to start. We got to go with Antonio Brown. I'm not even oh, going to let you open your mouth 100%. before we talk about anything further, before we go into how Antonio Brown is clearly the biggest diva. Uh, I mean, there's just a laundry list of things, but uh, let, let, let's hear from you, Donnie. What do you got on Antonio Brown? 
Well, first off, I think we can start off with the you knew he was kind of losing his losing his, his temper like a couple of years ago, way, way long ago when he arrived to training camp in, in a helicopter. Do you remember that that moment? Yeah, I think that's the one moment we really need to put in the picture as the, the slight decline was starting there, because when you your your ego start to take over your brain and you become bigger than than anything, that's when you really like. The, the diva mentality comes out. And then obviously you add in some CTE, which there's very clear evidence of. Um, he has completely lost his marbles from now. It's it's defending anybody on Twitter that says anything, even the lightest, uh, the, the least bit controversial. Uh, he's a rapper now. He's tweeting lyrics on, on the timeline constantly that don't make any sense. There's no, there's no rhyme to them. There's no reason to them. Uh, I think you can also argue him uh, tweeting at Giselle after the, the divorce was a little bit... Uh, that's a that's a diva mentality given the fact that he literally played with the quarterback that got divorced to this it's crazy to me uh and even from there you could you could talk about it. antonio brown trashed just about everybody he's ever played with in the last three or four years he, he has said something nasty about uh his quarterbacks not getting him the ball or the coaches being bad at their jobs or the coordinators not favoring him or just in general, this guy is so lost of sauce. It's funny that you said uh, we didn't plan this or anything. RK just said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk." This was my guy. This, this was my number one. And there's obviously other divas. This is, it's, it's the NFL. But Antonio Brown clearly takes the cake. Yeah, Antonio Brown is the diva, and I don't know if like when you think of traditional like sports divas, like the wide receiver position is usually pretty high oh, on yeah. the list. A lot of big egos, and Antonio Brown certainly fits in that category. He's an interesting one too because his kind of like where it started for him off the field, it's still like his production on the field has still been really good all throughout all this. Like he was voted first team All Pro four consecutive years between 2014 2017. The following year, he led the NFL in touchdowns with 15. So he's still having you know on field success. Pittsburgh realizes he's kind of this headache off the field, trade him to Las Vegas or Oakland at a time, sends him to the Raiders, doesn't even make it onto the regular season roster, had all those issues with hard knocks being there and his foot is frozen too much with cryotherapy, ends up leaving the Raiders before the regular season, goes to New England, catches a touchdown in just one game, leaves there, ends up going with Brady in Tampa Bay before he storms off the field at MetLife Stadium, Hilarious. takes his shirt off. Like, you just get uh, the laundry list of uh, Antonio Brown diva that uh you know had to had to start that one off with that one that one's an easy one yeah for sure um and i think there's also some easy answers from uh i guess we can go to the nba next like give me your nba because there's there's certainly well, you could name 40 players from leon yeah it makes sense I got to start with Kyrie Irving on this one. I feel like he just kind of does it to himself a lot of times. Like it really started with him saying that the earth was flat. Us you know, just going, oh, Kyrie, I don't know. We, we saw you hit a game winner to help LeBron win his first championship in Cleveland. And then it really has just gone downhill from there. So uh, I got to go with uh, with Kyrie Irving. Just seems like he's kind of always in the news for reasons that are not him playing quality basketball at this point. Yeah, I just want to throw in there's there's obviously uh, there's some psychology to being a diva in the NBA. Uh, the more you complain to the refs, the more they call. It, it's like a pretty clear analysis you, you, could, you could analyze there. There's a reason Chris Paul does it so frequently. There, there was a, a Twitter clip of Chris Paul complaining to the refs or mocking the refs and mocking players uh, on the court for two and a half minutes going around Twitter on this Thanksgiving, which was great. Uh, the NBA, there's a lot of them. You could even, I would have had LeBron James at the top of my list. You know, we've seen LeBron maybe mature a little bit in his, his older age, but uh, it, I, I think anybody that watched basketball that wasn't a fan of LeBron James was like, yeah, this guy just cries and cries and cries for the first decade of his career. I think that's fair to say. Uh, the NBA, the, the diva, diva per 60 is incredibly high in the NBA and there's no, no argument there. 
Yeah, and that goes on and off the court too, because like you talk about just complaining for fouls. Like oh, James course. Harden can be like an on-court diva sometimes with how often he's just getting to the line and complaining to refs and and lobbying for calls. So like there, there's different levels I feel like in basketball to uh, even the word diva there. Absolutely. Uh, on to uh, I think the MLB is the toughest to come up with an answer for. I'm gonna just throw out there. Oh, there's bias here, but uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. You're you're a, you're a little he's, he's a little little. He's a dweeb right now. We're not a big fan of, of Fernando Tatis. First, obviously, um, the the injury after signing a, a absolutely gigantic contract, um, steroids, uh, blaming it on something that wasn't steroids, saying he had ringworm, which is clearly just like not the truth. Um, he just he's just a little egotistical guy. Obviously, last year he's yelling at Manny Machado, who I think you would have said Manny Machado in, in yesteryear in his younger days would have been this this diva type player, but he's actually grown into a very respectable. Uh, I guess you could say Manny Machado is a leader. Uh, where back in the day, Manny Machado was somebody who was not anywhere near that way. But I, I think my answer would one hundred percent be Fernando Tatis Jr. at this point. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, baseball is maybe a little bit tougher. I'm going to go with Josh Donaldson, though. Like, Josh True. Donaldson is just – maybe I'm just mixing, like, being an idiot with being a diva <laughs> in this case. But, like, Josh Donaldson, like, at the, he's just kind of like – his. I feel like his timer has just expired and how much we can tolerate him. But still, somehow the Yankees are like, yeah, we want him to be our third baseman again next year. So, I don't know what really is going on there with Brian Cashman in that decision. But, I mean, Josh Donaldson, I mean, I'm just thinking this year, you know, calling Tim Anderson Jackie running around the bases. Like, dude, that was a thing from, like, three years ago. Like, why are you still talking about this? Like, just let it go, man. Like Josh Donaldson, like sometimes enough's enough with him. Yeah. And there are some players, the MLB, maybe not as much so, but there are some players, older players that try to stay in the spotlight or try to get some, some cloud and try to get remembered for, for the end of their career. Um, really interesting. Finally, the NHL, anything, what do you got? It's, and that's a tough one, honestly. Yeah, this one is also a tough one. And uh, also maybe I'm mixing Devo with other things, but like Tom Wilson, I guess, like Tom Wilson's just always in the news for just like slashing people and causing issues and like being, you know, told from the Department of Player Safety that it's not as serious as what he did for whatever reason. So like, I don't know if necessarily Tom Wilson is the diva in like the traditional character sense, but like on the ice, this guy's just always causing issues that everybody hates Tom Wilson and there's good reason for it. Yeah, see, I think if I was going to go in that category, I went with like Brad Marchand because Brad Marchand is one of those players that, that does, he picks on the ice and then off the ice, he's a, he's a real instigator with his words. Yeah. Um, he, he is somebody who definitely, even on the ice with his words, he's a real, he's a real, real shit disturber, I think would be the, the correct term. He, he's, he's a real, he's a goon to deal with. Um, I think the NHL probably a little bit less diva-esque because you kind of have to go play a physical game. It's it's a little bit more difficult to go out there and be – you can't be Ronaldo all the time. Uh, you know, you got to kind of sort of defend yourself, and there's a lot of uh, physicality, fighting and such. So if you are a diva, you're going to get picked on. It's kind of how that works. But uh, I think if there is any Wilson, uh, Marchand, uh, you could even argue as far to like Jordan Bennington after last year, the, the whole incident throwing the water bottle on Nazem Kadri is a real, um, it's just like, like why? Like what's that? That's, that's like a trying to get the, the media on you because you're weird, like type deal. Like if anybody, because you don't really see that like Bennington throwing, throwing the, the water bottle is kind of funny to me. I think that's the only last uh, little, little example I would have added. Yeah, that's a good one. Marchand is a good answer for that one too. I like that one. So, all right, good questions there from uh from my grip. He's got one more question for us, and he says, "When and what sporting event made you a sport nut in a good way, of course?" And he says, "No sarcasm allowed." So I'll make sure to follow the instructions on this one. No sarcasm. We'll throw it out the window here, Donnie. But I'll start with you. Which sporting event made you a sport nut? What do you got? 
I think it, it depends what specific, because there are different moments that made me excited about um, sports in general that I remember and that I go back to in my life when trying to figure out like, oh, this is the reason I like this sport. So like, obviously we brought about brought this up on, on the uh, MLB side of things. Uh, Russell Martin, uh, walk-off Grand Slam birthday, you know, that's, that's a great moment. Uh, I think you can even look back. There, there's some funny moments that I think back, like the Mets were in the World Series. Do you remember an Andy Chavez catch? You remember oh, yeah. the NDHL 2006 at NLCS? I was watching, my dad was coming home from work. Uh, he's a big Mets fan. So I was just watching, like, just, just you know, keep the TV on, waiting for him to come in. And I remember be, being a very young child and going up and trying to recreate the catch on the couch, uh, like making making the play, throwing the ball to myself, something that really, like, I don't know why, but it, like, piqued an interest in my mind that I still go back to from time to time. Uh, maybe just an incredible catch, obviously. Like you can, you can look back at as one of the more spectacular catches. It may be an MLB history. If not, there's like our, our recent history, but I, I would say that for baseball and then for hockey, I went to a Rangers Kings game when I was a lot younger. I, I've been watching the Rangers on TV for quite a long time with my dad, a uh, big diehard watches every single game, but I was like maybe seven years old at Staples center. And just, I think the first hockey game is a big one for a lot of us. I think hockey fans, the first game is really like, Oh, like this, this is wild. This, this is that, this is that shit. Like, this is crazy. Pardon my French, obviously. Um, but from there, I don't remember what it was with basketball. I don't think there was ever one. I think it was just, you could just say uh, growing up in LA, Kobe Bryant was always the a real um, having him there was kind of just like, yeah, you're always interested. And then football, maybe the giants for super bowl i was i was a fan before that for sure i had grinded they were a bad team but the giants first super bowl the first run was really spectacular our tv broke the night of the super bowl so we watched on a small uh throwback little like like 18 inch square box tv everybody had one when they were when they were really young or, or their family had one and, and i just remember like the, these like i think it's more like these little small moments that made me more passionate than i was at the time and then like it kept growing little by little over the years obviously like the rangers cup run was incredible i don't think i was ever a bigger hockey fan than what happened right then like to get to that there was a lot of pride involved with your team and obviously you've seen the blackhawks win the stanley cup there's a lot of pride involved with with following and grinding through a big season it, it, that will make you if you if you stick with the team uh, time and time again for for years and then finally they win one i think that's like the biggest like oh i'm, I'm a nut I'm, I'm a massive massive fan of this team and i'm never going to change yeah, that's pretty spot on. I would have to agree with that. Um, at least in my sense, when it comes to hockey, like the 2013 Blackhawks were kind of like the first team that I, you know, remember really, really following that cup run. And then that kind of set up, you know, the next two years where they had deep runs in 2014 to the Western Conference final and winning the cup in 2015. That kind of really, uh, to your point, kind of you get so heavily invested when it's such a high quality team. You know, you want to know everything about them. Who are they acquiring? Who are they drafting? Who are they trading? All that kind of stuff. So that really helped me out in the hockey sense. I probably got into other sports when I was younger. I would say probably football and baseball were kind of those first two main sports I got into maybe a little bit after the time frame when you said you brought up that Andy Chavez checks in 06 I'd say probably it was more like 2007 for me when I kind of got into uh those sports with baseball and football I remember watching the Giants Patriots Super Bowl uh when you know Patriots had the undefeated team you had the unbelievable catch with David Tyree that was just a crazy game so I'll always remember that Super Bowl uh, between the Giants and the Patriots in uh, in the 2007 season uh, as kind of like a big marquee sporting event. Also remember watching the 2007 World Series uh, with the Boston Red Sox ending up winning that series. So um, yeah, as I said, those were kind of the first two main sports that I uh, you know was really heavily invested. Honorable mention as well. I'll shout out there was a Syracuse UConn basketball game that went like seven overtimes. I remember watching like just about every single one of them. Uh, actually, it's funny because that game actually almost ended in regulation. Syracuse hit like a game win 
winner at the end of the the second half that was deemed like just after the shot clock expired and then it ended up going for you know six or seven overtime so i always remember those classic big east basketball tournaments uh those were always really really fun to watch for me as well but um yeah that's we it's kind of interesting we kind of both got into sports right around the same time 2006 2007 that kind of window so it's funny that it kind of adds up for both of us in that one so uh there you go no sarcasm for uh for my grandpa on that one we'll have to save that for for another point in time but appreciate the questions there uh and glad that he's been able to get the uh the speed reduced to sounding like a normal frequency for us so uh shout out to my grandpa on that one but let's move on here next question asker this one comes from my dad now another good question from a family member of mine so here we go if you could be any current pro sport athlete or coach for one day who would you want to be what day would you choose to be that person and why donnie i'll let you go ahead and share your answer first See, it's interesting. So if I'm getting, if I'm just, just living the life with, with their talent level and living the life with their, their ability, you have to pick like maybe Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl or, or like uh, Lionel Messi in the World Cup final, something along those lines. Like, uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes will probably never have a bad Super Bowl game when he makes the Super Bowl. It's just one of those players that like, you know, you're going to have a reliable performance regardless. And just that type of, I think it's like mental stress that you get from being that person in that moment obviously uh if the chiefs made the super bowl if the chiefs made the super bowl this year you will hear nothing but patrick mahomes patrick mahomes patrick mahomes uh and and dealing with that as somebody who maybe doesn't have the experience if i'm just like going into their brain midnight the night of the super bowl and then then you know obviously i'm playing the game and everything i think that would be really interesting to just like an, an experience nonetheless because i don't think either of us have any idea what a guy like patrick Mahomes has to go through to not only uh clear out his brain and and block out the haters block out all of the very clear and easy to see negative mental uh mental hits you would take from like social media um media obviously these guys are sitting in news conferences for weeks and weeks and weeks before the super bowl um i would just say like maybe patrick Mahomes the super bowl i think that's probably the the guy you know player peak of his talent um will never be in a bigger moment in his career like something like that it'd be a really to, to understand how that feels would be crazy to me that would be really cool. Definitely uh, interesting that you mentioned the pressure side of things too. Uh, you know, how they kind of get ready is like, oh, I've been a great athlete. How do I kind of maintain that? I would say for that reason, Connor McDavid would be a solid answer any day of the week because I'm just immediately faster and more skilled than anybody else at the game of hockey. So that would be a lot of fun. But I'm actually going to answer this with a coach because I was given the option on this. I'm going to go with Nick Saban on a day in which Alabama is playing for the national title because I think it would be interesting just to see how people interact with Nick Saban on a game day. Because if I was a player of Nick Saban's, I would be scared to say anything oh, to Nick Saban on a game day like if any like small detail I would be so terrified to come up so like what are people actually saying to Nick Saban on a game day I would just be fascinated to know what uh, is kind of the dialogue what's going on in his coach's headset what are his players saying to him during halftime all those little things I think would uh would be really interesting to uh to find out and plus you're Nick Saban you're making a bunch of money and you're just the king like everybody loves you because you win all the time so I think that would be uh would be my answer for that one uh final answer would be uh would be Nick Saban on a uh on a national championship game day yeah picking a coach was interesting i did think about this a little bit um i wouldn't have picked andy reed on the super bowl day because i think that's just like there's a lot of added stress that comes with that like you have like calling <laughs> yeah you have so many duties and so much responsibility that comes with the game that you can't really enjoy it necessarily like i'm sure uh, and andy reed you know there, there's a lot of ebbs and flows or ups and downs throughout a football game something like that and even like had i picked another sport like maybe maybe like steve kerr nba final game seven something like that like it just seems like being a coach would be way, way too stressful because you don't have any real impact on what happens on the court of the field. You're just 
calling the game, hoping that it works out. Right. Yeah, I would say so. It would be, uh, that would be interesting too, to, uh, to see how that kind of works out from a, well, like imagine, imagine being an offensive coordinator or something like that, calling plays for the Super Bowl. Like you would have so much stress on your brain the entire day going up to the game. And then you get to the game and you're literally sitting there against probably a top defense in the league or something like that. You would be so, so stressed out, so wired to the, to the point where you'd be like, how do I, how do I function? How do I, yeah. Anyway. Well, plus you're only this guy for one day. So it's not like you had all the, yeah, literally I don't have the preparation to like get your game plan ready and your third down. I mean, if the chiefs are losing ready, probably so. if I'm calling plays like, yeah, we're just throwing it. And now you're running your slot fades, Donnie. Now you get the chance. I, I'm telling you, you get the curl on the goal line, you know, Travis Kelsey, <laughs> does a little fade and cuts back, make easy touchdown. You know, we're, we're celebrating the Super Bowl. They're all like, yo, coach Reed, what's gotten into you, man. We got all these new plays at Super Bowl day. What, what happened? You, you're the same guy. Yesterday. I'm in, I'm in the locker room drawing them up on the light, on the whiteboard. Yeah. I got, I got the marker. This is what we're doing guys. All this terminology is so different. <laughs> coach Reed, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I'm drawing mustaches like the commercial. Obviously. Yeah. There you go. And you know, you're eating good though. If you're picking Andy Reed, oh, and, Andy Reed, let me tell you, so that, that would man, be a nice benefit. He must eat 7,000 calories a day. Like he has, he, he has he's no having some cheeseburgers on Super Bowl. Day. You know it. <laughs> She's halftime, halftime, the halftime spread that he's got to deal with. Everybody else is game planning. And Andy Reid's sitting there getting his lunch in. So uh, he sure is. Hawaiian shirt too. It's it's oh, of course, oh, of course, hundred percent. All right, good question. Shout out to my dad. Good thought there. Would be interested in your answer too. Definitely let me know on that one. Last question though, designated spot. End of the podcast, folks are here at this point for my sister Kira. Her question: Best mini goal, mini golf hole setup you've ever seen. I want to first give an honorable mention. There was a mini golf place near where we live in the Chicago suburbs that used to be glow in the dark mini golf. That was pretty sick. No longer is a thing uh, since we were young. That's since gone away. So that's you know R.I.P. to the to the glow in the dark mini golf hole setup but donnie i'll let you go ahead go ahead and share your uh best mini golf hole setup that you've ever seen yeah so i'm, I'm gonna give a little of a, a pretense here to be quick uh, ocean city there's not a whole lot to do uh you you go to the water or and sit by the beach you get some some food at a probably overrated not that great restaurant probably a lot of seafood uh, you go bowling or you go play mini golf so ocean city there's like a mini golf every three or four blocks um so i, I was there with john and friends uh, a couple years ago, we played a lot of mini golf. And I, I was thinking about my favorite. I was doing my research. There was one that had a uh, a pirate ship where you hit the ball through the pirate ship and you could see the ball bounce off and like where it bounced would designate where it went on to the uh, opposite side. And that was like the last hole. Um, it was a very, I think we were in a very close game. So I think that was like the sixth or seventh game we had played that week, given the fact that, um, you know, you don't do a whole lot. You're out the outdoors and stuff. Uh, it was just really interesting. If I can find a picture, I'll tweet it out on, on the Rothpot account uh, for anybody that is curious about my my favorite mini golf hole setup. But uh, it was really interesting because I think you anticipate mini golf being like kind of kind of dinky. And like, that's like the part of it. Like, like maybe there, there's going to be some 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 tomfoolery involved in the holes. Or it's not going to be great time. But it was really interesting to see like a, a step up, like a, like a step above of the mini, all the other mini golf places uh, where they, they kind of put some effort in like building like a treasure hunt type course. And the end was a really nice ship. It was, it was kind of interesting. Obviously, you know, we've played mini golf together um, once before, I believe uh, with, yeah. with, in, in Bergenfield. That is not, that's not in my top five. That, that course was not in my top five, obviously um, an unfortunate, uh, you know, I, I think I got like 13 in the last hole to lose. Uh, I was really, really bad that day. 
Uh, RK, obviously, I think you won, if I'm not mistaken. You or you know, I think Scott did. Or maybe maybe, Scott maybe you did. maybe you were on the top, uh, top of the list. I actually remember choking hole. that very big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah I'm right. glad you brought that up. Right, right, right. Because right. sorry, you know, it's just little memories here. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately, you, you had second place. You were the silver that day, uh, and, and I was I was like 73 holes behind. So. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Thanks for for bringing up an old wound. I'm sorry. I mean, you brought up the Sean Jackson. Before. I don't want to hear. <laughs> that's it. true. I did deserve that. That's a great point. Okay. I didn't even. Do, so you did it on purpose. I didn't even do this on purpose. I thought you yeah. won. Yeah, that was just natural conversation. You you're actually trying to give me a compliment, but it turns out I didn't. Win, <laughs> so uh, that I'll go ahead and share here. Actually, this brings up another time in which I lost a heartbreaking mini golf one. Oh, this no. actually shout out to our guy Aiden Zotner, who was a uh, player when the I worked in Southern California. But there was this mini golf place in Anaheim, California. California called boomers uh it's technically in irvine california uh is where it's located but really cool uh mini golf place they also had like go-karts and uh all sorts of other stuff at this place but i remember having a uh a cool mini golf set up there uh in SoCal when i was out there with uh with the junior rain working out there so that was cool that was a really cool setup but i lost that one as well uh shout out to to our guy zotzi he ended up beating me barely and, and we had some money on the line so it was a tough day for me so i i guess all my memories of mini golf courses are me losing in heartbreaking fashion so maybe the answer is I still have not seen the best mini golf setup and I need to make sure I get to that spot so I can find out how to win instead of lose because I keep doing that in all of these mini golf excursions. But uh, there you go. My final answer is going to be Burma's Irvine uh, in SoCal, which I hit earlier this year. But yeah, no, not much mini golf success for me, which is uh, which is too bad. I, I expect better of myself there. You know, unfortunately, mini golf is a little bit more random. There's not necessarily a lot of skill involved in mini golf. So sometimes, you know, you get unlucky and you're kind of just like, ah, Okay. You know, yep. great. It happens. Um, you know, I, again, I don't, I didn't remember you losing. So obviously you didn't do anything that, that terrible to where I was like, Oh, this guy stinks at mini golf. Uh, so it, it, <laughs> if you're not I, first, you're last. That's you know, how I see it. But if you're last, you're really last. And I, I was yeah, really last true. that day. We'll I, put it on Dan, the fourth member of our group was there. He was in last. Yeah. It's all Dan. Like, like screw Dan, honestly. Like, I think we should just sit here and try. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say, uh, mini golf, a lot of randomness. I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't be too uh too hard on yourself. Yeah, not too bad. All right, good questions. Shout out to my family, Thanksgiving spirit, asking me podcast questions. Glad uh, my grandparents and uncles have, have gotten on the bandwagon of the Roadie on the Horn podcast. You guys are end of the podcast, folks. You guys made it all the way through on normal speed, not 1.5 times speed. So good job for you guys. Check West is coming on our podcast next episodes. You guys have to tune in again. We'll have a lot of football recap for you uh, in that episode. Uh, hopefully the Giants and Eagles have a little bit better fortune than last time in the gap between in which we recorded but we will have to see on that one so uh anything else from you donnie before we wrap up no not a whole lot obviously you know uh, we wish everybody a belated uh thanksgiving happy belated thanksgiving uh i hope you had a great time with your family i'm sure you're you're still enjoying turkey for the most part uh, i believe a lot of people i'm not sure rk what's the plan for dinner tonight is that uh is that the plan Actually, no, going to go see uh regular listener, Roadie on the Horn podcast, Captain Scotty G, and we're going to get some five guys. So that's actually- Oh, I was hoping Culver's. News. No, actually, I believe Culver's was last time we had food together. We usually kind of mix in that and Portillo's as well, Chicago Suburb Classic. But today's choice, which was from Roadie on the Horn podcast, Captain Scotty G, he did suggest five guys himself. So yeah, that's the, that's the play. So you guys, everybody who's listening, I already consumed a five guys burger, but I have not right now in me talking. So it's really great stuff. You know, maybe, maybe I'm going to get the podcast up in three minutes. So, so it's, it's maybe. literally we, we live, not emergency um, pod. I hope you enjoy, obviously, uh, listener pod, uh, listener captain, 
Uh, Scotty G's got to get us more questions. Uh, there's not hasn't been a lot. Oklahoma he was on football. recently though. He so was on out. recently. He was on recently. Obviously, not a whole lot to brag about with Oklahoma sports. Not it's much. Been, it's been a tough go. Really tough. I mean, basketball, maybe. Maybe this year's the year. I don't know. Uh, Oklahoma basketball. Maybe they're four and one. Four and one. Okay. Good start. Good start. Um. So I, I guess we'll see on that. But uh, RK, wrap it up. Yeah, we're out of here. Check West. He's coming on. Already shouted him out. So end of the podcast, folks. You guys are the best. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we will talk to you guys next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This gonna be the best day.